Steve. Hello, welcome to episode four of the Lerair podcast. I'm David Smith and I'm joined today by Franny Walsh, Podge Gaffney, Marty Gillespie and Oren Fitzpatrick. Marty, how are you? How's things? Well, how's it going? How's the crowd? Ah, not bad. What, what's the plans for the weekend? I actually just started getting into Marvel movies this this last few last few days. I, we, uh, I just finished the third one there. The first, sorry, the third Avengers movie, Infinity War. So that's what uh, my plan is for the weekend to try and get a little bit further into that. That's what the the Disney Plus account got me for this weekend. Gone down a rabbit hole there. This bit. Gone down a rabbit hole. Yeah. Which you know, that's my my that's my weekend now. It's just uh, watching Marvel and clearing out the house a little bit and find, seeing what I can find. That's <laughs> a bag. Could be worse. Um, Franny, how are you? How's things in Barcelona? Not too bad. Yeah, good. Yeah, like 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 Marty. I kind of I, I kind of have a, a a television thing rather than a book to report on. I've been watching Ozark recently, which is. Uh, which is going quite well. Very good show, but it's kind of getting away my reading now. But it's uh, no, it's very entertaining now. Hey, what season are you on? I just finished season two there during the week, and I said I had to take a bit of a break from it because I was just, I was just like getting through it at at, at pace, like. So I said I, I may slow down, but no, it's very good. It's very, very good. Never mind our reading recommendation. That's a TV recommendation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Come here for all your ne- your your Netflix, uh, your Netflix yeah. picks. If you haven't watched Ozark, uh, recommend binging that this weekend. Uh, <laughs> Oren, how's life for you in Sydney? Yeah, can't complain. Can't complain at all. Usual old stuff here. Heading to the, heading to the Swans later on, the, the Sydney Derby's on. Four wins out of four, so it's, uh, it's been a tough couple of years up to now. Um, but uh, at least we're getting a few wins and a couple of good days out. So yeah, exactly. hopefully we're uh, still knocking around come, come um, September. Podge, how's life for you? You're in Dublin. Yeah, yeah, all good. Just looking forward to um, being able to leave the 5k radius for once in the last, I don't know how long. So yeah, probably going to be a nice day tomorrow. Might tip out to the north side, to maybe Malahide or something. Um, just some different sites. Other than that, started line of duty this week. Uh, I've actually only ever watched the first season, so I decided I'd plow into that. I'm absolutely hooked, so I'll probably binge that and yeah, other than that, quite enough. No real else, else uh, planned. What about yourself? Yeah, not too much. I uh, have a soccer match now today, so I'll head to that in a few hours and uh, going to play some outdoor bowls, very posh. So i uh, going to do that this evening. Do we get the weather for <laughs> We're delighted to get involved with the Dublin City Council and Dublin City Library's One Dublin, One Book campaign. And today we're going to be discussing Irish author Ronan Hessian's debut novel, Leonard and Hungry Paul. And what better man to introduce the novel to us and explain a little about it than Ronan himself. Hi, this is Ronan Hessian. I'm the author of Leonard and Hungry Paul, this year's choice for One Dublin, One Book. Leonard and Hungry Paul is a novel about gentle people. It's about the kind of people who often get overlooked in the world. And it shows how they try and engage with life and how they engage with the wider world without becoming overwhelmed by it. And it centres on two characters, the two titular characters. Leonard, who's in his early 30s, uh, and who has lived at home with his mother. And he, he works as a ghostwriter for children's encyclopedias. And his friend is Hungry Paul, who's a very sort of self-contained character, uh, who has a very calm and sort of peaceful perspective on the world. And it shows them at home with their families, who are by and large happy families, but nevertheless, they're going through the kind of changes of that stage in life. And it shows how everyone adjusts to that. And it shows about the challenges try and find your way in a noisy competitive world while still sort of maintaining connected 
with those things that don't change and provides the ballast in life. So I hope uh, there's a, the readers enjoy it. I hope the readers uh, can find some self-reflection in it. And particularly at this time, I think when we're all living quieter lives. So thanks so much for the, to the Lower Hour for including Leonard Hungry Paul in the podcast. And I'm looking forward to hearing everyone's thoughts on it. So yeah, that was Ronan Hessian um, discussing his best-selling debut, Leonard and Hungry Paul. Hodge, we'll come to you first. Uh, how did you enjoy the book? Yeah, I absolutely loved the book. Uh, thought it was a great read. Really, really nice. Really nice storyline. Lots of humour. Very eye-opening. Lots of characters you can you can relate to. Um, not just the, the main two characters, Leonard and Hungry Paul, but also the minor characters throughout. I just wanted to actually throw in a quick shout-out to my Aunt Maraid, who um, actually sent on the One Dublin, One Book campaign uh, to me and recommended this this book. She actually bought it for a few of her friends as well. And from there, uh, we got involved with this campaign, which is great. But yeah, the book itself, yeah, as I said, really, really enjoyed it. Very heartwarming. I found myself smiling a lot as I was reading it. Just the, the innocence of it, I suppose, and the innocence of the two main characters and just how they saw the world was really refreshing. And I mean, overall, it was a book that compared to the books we've read even recently, like even like Animal Farm and um, A Thousand Splendid Sons, like completely different. I actually, I love that. I love the contrasts. I love how like bringing in a book like that, different, but um. We'll go into more detail on it, I'm sure, as we go through the podcast. But some a book I'd I'd absolutely recommend to to other to others to to read. And just it's a book that suits a sunny day. And thankfully, we were lucky enough in the last week or two here in Dublin um to have lovely weather. And even that kind of even last weekend, just sitting at the back of the house and reading this book, and even going to the park and reading it with a coffee. It was just such a lovely experience. So, yeah, for that, really enjoyed it. Uh, felt great reading it. And, yeah, looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Yeah, that's interesting what you said. I suppose what Ronan touched on there in his voice note as well, it's a, it's a good book for the times that we're in, I suppose, with COVID and everything. It kind of makes you take stock and appreciate everything. Oran, I'll come to you next. Did you, what was your experience with the book? You listened to it, I think, on Audible? I listened to it, yeah. I guess we can slate it now that Ronan's done such a, such a good introduction. But, uh no, I have to say, I thought it was brilliant. I really, really enjoyed this book. Uh, not at all a book that uh, I'd actually go if I was, you know, wandering through the bookshop. It's not something I'd pick up and be like, yeah, this is what I want to read. But I just thought, in the quietest way possible, it just hit so many kind of nice, warm, fuzzy notes and feelings and stuff like that. And you're like, this is, this is dead. I can, I think, yeah, particularly for Audible there, it was lovely to listen to. The voice actress did a great job with it. And yeah, no, I thought it was brilliant. Um, it was, I think, as Paul said there, there was a lot to relate to across each different character with families and all the different families and kind of draw different parallels of that, like kind of gets you thinking as well, which is what you want from the book. And I, yeah, just thought overall it was just, it was a great, 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 um, great listen, I should say. Yeah, it was the same. Yeah, I really liked it. Um, as the lads were saying, a feel good book and kind of something for me, like it was kind of the celebration of like a lot of the ordinary things about life. And like maybe the people in life, I think it was that was actually also something I think uh, Ronan touched on in the introduction was that like it's it's a celebration of people that maybe don't get celebrated that often, and that like you know he makes kind of like these characters out of these people that probably don't 
get projected on on true media like you know that often maybe and that but that's still like that that still exists and everyone knows a version of them and that they're so relatable in their own way but um yeah i loved it and i love the characters and hungry paul in particular i thought was a brilliant character like and uh, i'm sure we'll discuss them a bit later on in the podcast but yeah no for me it was it was great yeah no it was a great read great listen again sorry rather i should say yeah i suppose uh, i can only really echo what the lads are saying like you know it was it was full of warmth from the start, you know. It, I, I loved it from from the very start. Um, I really loved how it was, as Franny was saying, like it was like a, an, an appreciation. It was like a tribute to those who those overlooked, you know, and those who kind of fall between the stools in terms of, you know, what categories they'd fall into and in terms of, you know, how society might, might, might place them. It gave such a, a lovely perspective on, on life and, what to take from what to take from it, you know, and how to take on life, you know. It would be very hard to not find a character in this book that you you couldn't relate to, if not to all of them. I could I could place faces that you know that I knew, you know, people that people I know, whether they're friends or family. I could put their faces, their names to the characters in this book, and it would still make sense. And I I think that's what what made this book so. Uh, so special and so enjoyable is that it's so accessible and relatable to so many people, you know. And I, I mentioned to you before, before we started this, I'm a teacher and I have a fifth class. We talk about reading, obviously, quite regularly. But I, I read the, story, the chapter about the qualities, Hungry Paul and the qualities street tin to just to my class. Like it was just one chapter that I, I thought was hilarious, you know. And I went to bed chuckling to myself, you know. And uh, as I was saying, I, I, I had a great, I couldn't believe it yesterday. One of, the, one of the boys in my class actually told me that he had bought the book. He had ordered it online. <laughs> It'll be very interesting to hear now what he thinks of it. But uh, it, it just, it's a test, testament to the accessibility of the book and how far reaching it is within a group of people. That it's really relatable to all, all sorts of you, whether it's, us group of, you know, late 20s men or whether it's a, a you know, a fledgling group of 11-year-olds in, in, in a fairly affluent Dublin area. I thought that was one of the amazing parts of Leonard and Hungry Paul. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose we like, we'll, we'll start on the, the two main lads, Leonard and Hungry Paul themselves. There's one actual part of the book, just I think it was in the first or second chapter, and it kind of set the tone for the for the whole book. I just have it highlighted here. Their conversations combined the yin of yen, of Leonard's love of facts with the yang of Hungry Paul's chaotic curiosity. I thought that was really lovely. Um, and then you could be, you could even bring it back to that uh, throughout the different events of the book. Yeah, I think we'll start. There's so much to unpack with these characters. I think we'll start with Leonard. There was one quote I loved about Leonard that kind of I felt summed him up where he was talking about his job writing uh, children's encyclopedias. There was a line in the book that said the job suited him because he preferred to play a minor part in someone else's story rather than be his own star, which I thought was really kind of touching and hit the nail on the head in terms of his character. Yeah, it's actually funny that you mentioned that particular thing about him. So like I used to work in a kind of a job that was similar to what he did. Like I was, I used to work in a publishing company and we used to like write content that it wouldn't be like author credited. So like you'd be doing it and you'd be writing this content and it would be going out to thousands of people or whatever, but no one has any notion that it's that it's you. And so I found I found that whole experience and the way he described it, I was like, Yeah, I, I like I relate to that so much. The engagement with the job that he was describing, you were kinda you were you were kinda cloistered away and you were doing it kind of in your own little bubble and it was going out to these people 
and kind of someone else is nearly getting the credit for it. But I just found it was really interesting the way he described that. I felt like the author probably nearly had experience with it because he was kind of describing it kind of quite quite well as to what it was. But yeah, no, and like in, in and in terms of the character of Leonard as well, in more generally, I felt that he kind of you know everyone kind of knows someone that's a bit like him, that's a bit quiet and withdrawn, and that like prefers their own company and it's a bit bookish maybe but like kind of as I was saying at the start it's kind of a celebration of that more like you know and you, you get a bit of an examination of maybe what that's like and how he engages with the world I thought uh, the author really dealt with that really really well like I thought it was like quite a, like a, an affectionate portrayal of what that was you know because it's something maybe that's glossed over a lot in you know mainstream literature maybe where that's the, that person would be kind of a side character rather than the focus of what's going on so, yeah, like I thought there was a lot to be taken from the character of Leonard. And I thought, you know, it was nice that he went into into detail with all his quirks and stuff. So, yeah, no, I did. I really enjoyed him, yeah. Yeah, I, I similar thing in a job where I worked for a news kind of aggregator for um, AAP where a similar thing as you mentioned like I used to write sport articles but your name wouldn't really be attached like it would just say AAP at the bottom so you might be published in the Guardian or the Independent or whatever it was but like that it's it's anonymous so I, I could really relate to him on that front as well and I thought it was really good then when kind of Shelley and other people encouraged him to go out and do his own thing or it might have been Helen Hungry Paul's mother who actually encouraged him to write his own content I thought that was yeah just like a good lesson I found that really relatable yeah, I just listened to find it there. I find it hilarious, which is which is great about the podcast there. That like that sort of thing didn't even cross my mind. And I've I'm obviously I'm not a writer, say so. Kind of why would it? The bit that always that stu- has stuck with me about Leonard is kind of in relation to his mom and his mom dying. Kind of is at the at the start of the book, and you know it tackles grief and that sort of thing. And I think in the nicest way that like, in the same way as he lives his life, he doesn't make a big deal about it. He deals with it in his own time, at his own pace. He has that weekend where he reads the book, all that sort of thing. He cleans out the house, acknowledges, you know, his mom's room and all that sort of stuff, but still keeps a show on the road and goes to work, all that sort of thing. Has a relationship with Shelley. And I think she even kind of touches on it. Jesus, that has to be really, really hard. There's a really nice kind of moment where, yeah, Shelley's saying, that must be really hard. And he's like, yeah, 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 like it's tough. But like, you know, I'll keep going and I'll um, I'll get through. And I think that kind of sums up the book in a way because the author is really, it's like rooting for the kind of the underdog sort of thing. I don't know if the underdog even the right word, but just acquire characters go by in life, but actually have this monumental strength to get through these tough times. You know, I think people um, underestimate those sorts of characters. So that's a good point. I thought the, the way it dealt with grief was really touching. There was one line about his mother just simply running out of beef, I thought it was really touching. And then everyday aspects of the grief. There's a quote about him pausing sadly over the TV guide after she died that he was left watching. Yeah, she just a simple little thing that hit you hard, I think, that you can really relate to. Yeah. Um, I'll come to you, Hodge. How did you feel about Leonard? He's a really great, interesting character. Absolutely, yeah. No, I really, really enjoyed Leonard. Clearly a uh, very introverted character. I just like to talk about the, the courting of, of Shelley. Um, that period of the book, you kind of mentioned at the start, Smith, like kind of relating to characters. I mean, like we've all had moments where we've had to just take a chance on something, be it with asking a girl out or whatever it might be. And you could just feel that nervousness through the words on the page and the tension and trying to talk to Shelley in the office and failing. And, you know, she was only working half days and you were just kind of like left in suspense or limbo for a while. And you were just like, 
you're absolutely rooting for Leonard. You're like, come on, man, you can do this. Like Then when he finally does kind of get chatting and Shelley leaves a note on his desk or whatever, and you can kind of think, oh, this is looking good. But I think like when he, when he finally musters up the courage to kind of ask her, I think she wanted him to sign his book, sign the book for her child. And he kind of takes that moment to like, well, we'll do a deal. You know, if I sign the book, you know, and he doesn't just ask, like, do you want to go for a coffee? It's just this long-winded paragraph. I don't know why, but when I was reading it, it was like, do you know when you write an email to someone and you're like, oh, sorry for annoying you, or don't, oh, get back to me whenever you can. And you're like, <laughs> oh, don't worry about it. And you're just like constantly apologizing. And it's like, everyone has that, like, kind of, I don't know, social anxiety, I suppose, in different levels, you know? But to spice... Will he get Ziz to come on the podcast here so she can describe the walk yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with you? Yeah. Ziz can come on and tell a tale or two, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My courting skills, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, absolutely. He um, When he finally, when he got the date, and even there was one line I just, uh, to kind of blend in, I suppose, kind of Oren's points with kind of what I'm talking about was when he brought Shelley to the Italian restaurant. I have it just here. I just like to quote it because it just sounds lovely. He's like, oh, you know, I've passed it loads of times. I thought it looked nice. I've never been here before, answered Leonard, when what he meant to say was that every time he walked by it, he said to himself, if I ever meet a girl, that's the place I'm going to bring her. I just thought that was so sweet, lovely. You're just like, it, it's just rolling along. And you, you, you kind of, with the way the book is written, because it's just so feel good, you don't expect it to turn. You don't expect this to, to not work out. And then it obviously doesn't you know it kind of peters out a bit and it gets to a point where he doesn't know what to say at the right moment he's inexperienced you just feel like yeah like we've all had those kind of moments where you just freeze at the wrong time or whatever and thankfully the story kind of picks up for him in the end but yeah i mean overall just a lovely lovely character um and very hard not to not to root for yeah i think it was the courting thing i think we can all relate to that and like reaching for those pathetic excuses essentially for like getting in touch whether it was Leonard saying about was it safe because she was a fire warden where his excuse for seeking her out was whether it was safe to charge his phone overnight or not and him even realizing how pathetic that uh that excuse sounded I thought that was really funny I I thought I really enjoyed Leonard's character I really loved his you know his directness of sort like in a non-aggressive way like his his willingness to take things at face value and to not engage in any ambiguity. Like, you know, I particularly love that part. Uh, again, with, as Paul was saying with Shelley, you know, where he feels that Shelley is expecting him to say the right thing at the right time. He just isn't, it does not want to engage in that. Or it, he feels he's, un, he's unable to engage in that, in that sort of, uh, that sort of social conventions or whatever whatever it is you know he's he in the lead up to that his directness is you know he in from from his point of view he feels you know oh i want shelly to be here so i am going to text her and uh she has a son so i am going to ask her to bring the son with me uh regardless doesn't think that there will be consequences doesn't think that there will be additional cogs to, to shelly's thought process that directness, I just thought that was so so interesting how that thought process catches Shelley on the hop. You know, Shelley is obviously a character who has been, you know, who's probably been been hurt in the past. As you know, we 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 get it, we get that gets touched on in the book as well. But she's very wary and she's very 
conscious of of the relationships that she engages in and the relationship that she exposes Patrick to. Yeah, no, that's what that I really I thought, I thought Letter was a, a very interesting character and uh, his directness was one of my my favorite traits about him. Yeah, no, just I, like what I wanted to say was, uh, and I was kind of I found it interesting that you brought up that scene with himself and Shelley where like they were kind of it was their first real romantic interaction and I just thought that it was really profound in a way and it was probably maybe one of the more like more profound as opposed to comical aspects of the book but I just found that that whole interaction there was something really kind of a great exploration of what love is between ordinary people it's it's not the way it often is in films or books where it's like these massively attractive people kind of like find themselves attracted to each other and it's like you know this kind of like Romeo and Juliet sort of thing it's more about like you know they kind of they explain to each other why they find each other attractive and why this relationship makes sense to them and I found there was something really kind of nice about that and just the way they the way the way Ron and Hessian laid it out it was just yeah it was just it was again a kind of a celebration of of what's ordinary about life and, and stuff like that. But yeah, I thought that, that that particular scene was just really nice. I thought as well the, on the interaction with Mark Baxter, the Ed was like a lesson on self-esteem or something. You know, he was confident enough in his writing. He knew that he wrote good books, so he didn't need, you know, the approval of anybody else. I think the only approval that he needed was from um, Paul Shelley's little fella's name. You know, I, I just, I, I kind of thought that was lovely if you could, you know, for any of us in any sort of work, if that's what you could do, you know, just have that one, if that's all you needed, the support of how lovely was that like um i'd say that maybe something for writers something that they get more of like but um yeah i thought that was great there's just one more character trait actually i just thought of as you were chatting was um i don't know if he's noticed when he was saying that he was so preoccupied with shaving that he was still wearing his single pocket paisley pajama top and work and despite <laughs> that <this>. then <laughs> i just loved how he kept bringing up how lads in the office were wearing it and when i first read it i was thinking are these lads slagging them? Like, are they, is this a joke? But it turned out, no, this is actually somewhat of a fashion statement. And he was just so oblivious to it. Like, uh, do you know, like, do you know some people that are just cool? Like, you know, who just have, they don't overthink things. Like, and I know he didn't do it. He did it uh, by accident or whatever. But just the fact that he just kind of stumbled into that, I just thought that was really, really funny. I thought, um, when you again, I thought it was hilarious about mentioning the paisley pajamas. But I think what he was getting at there was that lads were wearing paisley shirts, and that he was uh, assuming they were paisley pajamas that people were, you know, oh, that the, so, it, yeah. it was the paisley shirts that were in fashion, but that you know he perceived them to be <laughs> paisley pajamas. You know, yeah. I didn't even think about that. I don't know. What did you think? Did you think that the lads were taking a hand at them or? No, I thought he... it was like I thought it was that thing of effortlessly cool or like unintentionally cool, where it was just like a practical thing for him or an oversight, and then people just kind of latch onto it. And they were like, "Oh, that's cool. Let's start kind of doing that." Um, I thought it was a complete piss take of hipster culture. Like, I don't think it was intended for Leonard to be yeah. actually cool at all. Exactly. I think it was just that he's a complete normal. He he's got no dress sense whatsoever. And then all the hipsters in the office are like, "Oh, that's different. We better do that." And then everybody's doing it, sort of thing. Which I thought that was just a kind of funny aside, almost. One scene I really love with Leonard and I thought it was so relatable was the scene where before his date with Shelley where he needed to use the bathroom and he went into McDonald's and uh, had to buy a meal and then of course he buys a Happy Meal and she comes along and happens to see him <laughs> eating the Happy Meal on his own in McDonald's before the date but I thought it was like he was so flustered and even how he referred to the kind of bouncer guy who wouldn't let him use the bathroom as Mount Rushmore 
I thought that yeah, was, yeah, yeah. was kind of like out of character, but you could see he was so flustered by the whole thing. Uh, trying to explain as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. Explain. He, didn't want to, he didn't want to waste a meal or whatever. And he was just so honest, like, like overly honest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It reminded Classic. me of like Peep Show or the kind of the IT crowd. I thought it was really like relatable, cringy humor almost, but it was, it was really effective. I kind of yeah. like the, he wasn't overly funny. Like, how do I say that a little bit better? Say like, he wasn't trying to be hilarious. He was just kind of funny in his normal conversation. Like just that, like he kind of ends up with a bloody happy, happy meal with, I think, a Finding Nemo toy in it. And he's like, oh, how do I even get to this situation that I have to deal with? And I was laughing at that. But, you know, he hasn't really done anything that's funny or said anything that's funny. He's just a normal kind of character. Again, great. That's what I loved about the book. Yeah, I think it's extraordinarily ordinary. And, like, all the things are relatable. There's no massive changes. Like, most books where, like, it kind of rips up the script of the typical, like, make a massive thing happen to the character early on. And then they basically face the adversity. It was... I know his mother died, but it was kind of more about the natural progression of life rather than even the wedding was kind of almost like a side note in the book. It wasn't, you know, in, in traditional book, you'd almost be expecting like a big twist at the wedding or like a jilted bride or something massive to go down. But it was just, it was very natural, the whole thing. Can I just say, I actually just didn't say jilted bride. I, for some reason, had a complete notion that your man was going to be outed as like a, a cheater. Like for ages, for some reason, going through it, and I was like, "This fella's definitely cheating on on your one or something." I don't know why, but it was like, it was kind of like, yeah, Andrew, yeah, yeah. I was like, he's, I, 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 I don't know why, but I felt like he was setting it up for like, like she's that was the exact same. Yeah. Really, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, felt yeah, like he was setting same. it up. That's <laughs> gas. But no, I, I really felt like he was setting that up. Like, I think we all we all have sharp edges, maybe because we're so used to stories. <laughs> hitting us with those kind of things but maybe that's you, it though because like yeah. I, I like i felt like as you were saying there was nothing really like there was no big like kind of shock or big like dramatic turning point in it but maybe that was why but maybe you're kind of expecting it because you're kind of used to it you're saying there's smith as well like the there's no real point like there's no real like tipping point almost just even this week like i was doing teaching story writing to my class and the blueprint for teaching story writing in classic narrative writing is you know what's the problem in the story and what's the solution to this problem and like right towards the problem and a book like this then can turn just completely just rips that up rips that blueprint up and you're like well you know some stories obviously don't have that kind of apex or whatever yeah and then obviously the other titular character hungry paul it's still i think it's going to haunt me till the day i die that we never find out why he's called hungry paul but uh that's that's a story for another day marty i'll come to you how did you feel about hungry paul he's a great character yeah, again, I really, really loved Hungry Paul. I find him, I suppose, of the of the two titular characters, I probably related to Hungry Hungry Paul a bit more. Anybody who <laughs> you probably know, I'm probably I'm quite literal. Uh, Hungry Paul is quite literal, you know. You know, one of the other things I loved about Hungry Paul was just I, I really loved his position within the family and how he thrived in that position. You know, how he thrived in letting. He, he didn't seem to care that until the very end, or sorry, he didn't seem to notice until that conversation with Grace, which was a fantastic scene in the bathroom. He didn't seem to notice that Grace felt that responsibility for him, or he seemed to feel that that, respo- that show of care and show of, um, of concern for Paul, that he felt that that was just part of her, her own character formation, you know, her own, per- you know, her own personality. I loved how he just sat his, he didn't, he didn't devote himself to anyone else other than himself. Like the idea of working in the post office one day a week was enough for him to, to 
get by. He didn't didn't want to work five days a week. Didn't want to be worrying on a Friday evening. Will he get? Will he have enough um, sleep at the weekend to get up early on Monday to deliver to deliver more letters? He just did as much as uh, he didn't need to suffice for his life, and uh, I uh, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I thought it was that was very uh, very interesting, very funny. Yeah, I find that really interesting, and he's almost considered helpless by those around him, but then he's not helpless at all. I think he was quite self sufficient, as you said, Marty, content in his life. And I thought when he won the money, it was really touching how he he was so thoughtful about it. I think it was Grace kind of under her duress with the wedding was kind of saying about oh you could help mom and dad or whatever. And he was so willing to, he would have given her the 10 grand for a wedding or given it to his parents. It just hadn't, I thought Ronan did a really good job of kind of conveying how his brain was just wired a little bit differently maybe to your average person. But that even the scenes in a nursing home that he was still in his own way, he was quite reassuring and thoughtful. I thought you touching it there, Marty, I thought the, my favorite part of the book was this kind of discussion with Grace about the future and his parents. And I thought it was just lovely where he said, about being happy while there's still time he said it's kind of like that old cliche of today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday where very much in the present whereas i feel a lot of people were and we all kind of do it you get caught up in whether it's the future the past or whatever and pod you talked about earlier but he very much lives in the present and focuses on the glorious nature of your everyday mundane things or your your everyday life things that you can take for granted or other people do i thought this was a really good love letter to that aspect of life was it um, was it Hungry Paul that made that analogy about the number on people's forehead? He made Everyone an analogy. A number on yeah. their head, yeah. And what is it? He said, he said find, you'll see them again, basically. So exactly, I thought that was a really, really fat. lovely, yeah. a really, really lovely analogy on life, or a really, ta- a really interesting take on life. You know, he said, he said. What I learned is that everyone in your life has an invisible number on their foreheads, which represents the number of times you will see them again. It might be zero or one, or it could be a thousand, but it's a number. We don't have unlimited time with people. I thought that was really, really profound and a really nice way of, of viewing life of a, or, or viewing the, the, the fine, how finite life is, you know, uh, without viewing it in a, a morbid or a, a somber sense and it's just this is the way it is again it's back to it's back to how how literal they view things is you know when you reach that number when you reach zero that's it that's his, it his literal view i found was so funny at times uh when he was talking about letter when he was writing his book and he started seeing shelley and paul refers to it as letter is making his one small step for mankind I thought that was hilarious. And then it went in the same paragraph. He was kind of discussing his like his list of problems. And then it was like these kind of existential problems. Then one of them thrown in the middle was like um, judo was also hard to learn. Or one of the things was on like his priority list, which I thought was just really funny. I thought it was just summed him up. I think Ronan, it was something that was done really well in the book, like those little touches of humor. But as you said, Marty, quite profound implications or... I certainly found kind of living abroad, it's something that plays on my mind a lot about that thing of like spending time, like not seeing your family for obviously with COVID, the pandemic and stuff. I haven't been home in two years and it is something that plays on your mind a lot. And I thought that numbers on the forehead, yeah, is a really kind of profound and touching way of looking at looking at things like that. Yeah, just in terms of the numbers in the forehead, there was another concept, I suppose, that you wrote into it that kind of struck me that was similar to that. It was the one about if you're a parent, you, yeah, so it, you give kids back 
a piece of their life at a time. So like the idea is that if you're a, if you're a parent, you, you like you know like the kids the kids' life is their own, and like you're giving it back to them as you raise them, you're giving them back a little bit of their freedom each time. And I thought that like that as a kind of an image or as a concept that was really striking because it's like it, it's true I suppose really because like you're not when you have a child like I mean obviously their life is their own, it's not belonging to the parent, but it's kind of it's it's that dynamic that has to exist in order for the child to be raised properly. But it's just, yeah, I suppose it was just a really interesting way of looking at it. And the way he phrased that, I thought was really excellent. And it was just kind of, it was another little a little idea like that. Yeah, I think that's what kind of elevates the book. Not that there's lack of plot, but the plot is secondary to the characters. But I think it's those little touches of human nature that make it stand out rather than like, it could be just your everyday book. But I think it's just so well written that it, really resonates for a lot of different reasons like you've all touched on it's interesting that we all seem to have been impacted emotionally quite a lot by what's essentially quite a funny and lighthearted book but it still kind of has a lot of messages to take home from yeah um i suppose then i suppose that like from a character perspective then obviously we can we can delve quite deep into the some of the messages you were talking about there but i suppose from who hungry paul is there are so many moments in the book that just showed how first of all how clued in he is and just how sensitive he is i mean there was one thing and kind of it brings me into another part of the story but it was when he was picking out and he was getting the suit for grace's wedding and he's picking out and he's like right what tie will i get and then straight away he's like purple and he's like it was always grace's favorite when we were younger our favorite sweet like and i mean it's just something that he just it's like he blurs out or he blanks out all the nonsense of life and he just remembers the important stuff like that like something so like lovely and like meaningful for his sister's wedding you know i just thought that was really really nice and then obviously with the the hospital visits and it started off as a as a way for like his mother wanted him to get out of the house and start, it was a good thing for him to do. But even on his own accord, like just visiting the, that lady who had, didn't seem to have many visitors and who was quite aggressive towards his mother, I believe, wasn't she? Um, that lady, wasn't she? She thought she was uh, um, someone else. A religious, a religious bitch, I think. A religious yeah. bitch or something, yeah. So, but, like, Surprise you didn't remember that, Pudge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spring <laughs> like, break! <laughs> Spring break, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like Hunky Paul. Like, I mean, like he's just so in the in the in the moment, in the present, and happily will just sit for however long, holding the hand of this lady, and um, providing comfort. Probably not realizing he's given the comfort he is. You know, he's probably just happy out. He probably thinks it's so literal. I'm just holding this person's hand. But for me personally, and anyway, we reading it, it's just so lovely. And then obviously that links in then as well with the, when he had his interview in the in like the community center or something, and he was just sitting there for like 20 minutes, and he had no phone, he wasn't scrolling, he was just happily sitting. And I was like, that's I like you could see the lads were like looking at him, weren't they? Or they were like observing him, being like, this is the guy we want. You know what I mean? And it was just so nice that his personality was just like perfect for that job at the end and yeah again like we kind of talked about Leonard and rooting for him but we're also like rooting for for Hungry Paul and like I I, I do I, I, I am guilty saying like that I was kind of looking at like from Grace's perspective and his mom's perspective and be like come on Hungry Paul like come on you can do more you can get out and do more but then as I read on I was kind of like no you know he's dead right like he's he's himself and life is just playing out the way it should be for him and yeah and he just showed his obviously his as i said his sensitive side but also his like his creative side with his like winning that competition and then coming up with the quiet club at the end and 
yeah, it was just really, really lovely. And I, I, I thought the scene in the hospital completely tested that that there was a place for both himself and his mother because Barbara was a chatter, the one lady, and she just wanted to talk terrible match for Hungry Pole. But then the lady, I think it was Mrs. Hawthorne or whatever, just needed somebody to sit and be with her. And that was just his place and that like, so, you know, there was just absolute value for both of these two completely different characters to be in that position. I, I just thought that was where Hungry Pole came into his own. It's like, there's a place in the world for all these different sorts of characters, whether you're a chatterbox, whether you're not, whether you're super driven and you really want to, you know, be the, the head of everything or, but, you know, Hungry Paul found himself and as they say, found himself the head of an organization kind of thing that was all about this peaceful in silence. And I think, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to butcher this because I don't have it written down, but um, I think he was saying something about um, peace. It's not something like, it's not happiness. It's just this kind of comfort in where you are and what you're doing and enjoying what I kind of thought of as like a room full of silence, like, you know, enjoying the empty space rather than having to have a focal point sort of thing. I like, I thought, I just thought that was brilliant. Like. The mime job, that was really clever because it shows there is a place. I think the whole book is about that the importance, Podge, you touched on it, like with the tie and these little thoughts. There's a place for those underappreciated people in society like Leonard and Hungry Paul, who, Hungry Paul, as you said, Podge, kind of like, come on, get out, do something. Like, you nearly worry about him yourself so you can see how the people in his life would be like, worrying like, oh, what's Paul going to do now when his, the parents get older or Grace is off married? But like, he's, he's fine. He's going to be fine. He's happy in his own skin. And I think that's a really good takeaway from the book of, you know, we don't all have to conform um to anything i think if once you're happy in your own skin that's really the the most important thing and i think hungry paul was like the embodiment of that in a lot of ways which i think is a really important lesson one quote that i felt kind of summed that whole thing up was uh he said to his sister that you're addicted to your own competence i thought that like it was kind of it was it was hilarious because he's kind of such a useless fucker like do you know <laughs> so it was hilarious coming from him but it was also kind of profound in a way that like you know like in modern life, people are that way. Do you know what I mean? They're they're just it's always about doing more, being more, and all this kind of stuff. And like he is just this person who has just accidentally kind of mastered this, like, I don't know, this kind of stoic lifestyle where, like, as you say, he just lives in the moment and he doesn't bother with all these things that bother other people. And like somehow by kind of just like divine inspiration, he's 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 developed this lifestyle kind of and he he just gets it. And like, yeah, I just think it was kind of like maybe Ronan Hessian's way of like presenting this counterculture to that whole that whole idea through the character of Hungry Paul. But like, I just thought, yeah, Hungry Paul for me was like the best. It was he was kind of he he was the book for me. You know, he was really the highlight of the book. And like, I thought he was excellent. And the way he was written was excellent. Yeah, I suppose just even to I suppose to finish it up on on Hungry Paul, like the ending of the book was just perfect um i just have that here as well i mean so much has been written and said about flowers over the centuries and yet it took someone as special as hungry paul to notice how quiet they are oh like it was just such a perfect way to finish it. i don't know what you felt about the ending but i just to sum it up and even just to sum up the the character chat we've been having about him i just thought that was lovely the ending was just nice it was neat it wasn't dramatic there was no no massive changes to their lives just kind of subtle every like your general life progression I thought that was good. I was glad that there was no big thing from the wedding. Like life was just kind of meandering along. It was like a river for them, which I thought was really 
effective that they he kind of kept that up throughout. Uh, apart from the titular characters, and there's a lot of other interesting characters kind of in the story. Grace, I think, is a really interesting character. Hungry Paul's sister. Story. Yeah, I really, I really, I really felt that Grace had a note with me. I suppose anybody who's an eldest child, they know about the the eldest child union that we have, and we we uh, were constantly castigating any 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 siblings that come after us, and uh, about how we. We forge the path for you all, you know. But but it, for, it, genuinely though, you know, there are some of Grace's viewpoints. Like I find myself slotting into them accidentally. Like the how how she worries about Hungry Paul's future, but her parents' future, and uh, how her relationship with them, how to manage it, and and, and the closer that she manages it, the, the the more she feels in control with her relationship with. Hungry Paul and her parents, the less she actually is physically or, you know, meaningfully in the relationship, you know, that comes to light later on in the book where, where when Hungry Paul, Hungry Paul highlights it, the greatest thing about the wedding from their mum and dad's point of view was that they've had Grace around. It wasn't that Grace is getting married. It wasn't that Grace has a good job. It wasn't that she has the stereotypical good looking a good job fella it's just having their daughter around and I think you know I think it was it's very uh, relatable for a lot of people whether they're whether they're the eldest or not but particularly for uh, people who may be the eldest in their family or maybe an only child that to feel that they have to be have to have a certain level of ambition or to make certain level of sacrifices and it's not necessarily what your parents are actually expecting of you and I think it was um, really important to have a character like Grace in the story and even more important to have someone like Hungry Paul who could bring who could show her the the lightness of of family relationships or the the humor that's in them or the 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 love that's in them essentially and regardless of personalities or or desires or ambitions that there's an unconditional love there and trying to influence <laughs> one of my favorite quotes in the book is about is hungry paul saying you know you want me to be the version of myself that best suits you now that may be paraphrasing but i felt that was really it really epitomized uh, Grace's Grace's view or Grace sorry Grace's concern. You know, she really just wanted to understand Paul more and wanted to feel in control of the relationship. And I don't like not in a manipulating way sort of way, but just in a sort of I'm in control sort of perspective like that. And also the how she you know she eventually compromises. You know that she 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 comes across sometimes as a as a, a, a non-negotiating character, you know, how in the morning she wants time to herself, doesn't want Andrew around her, doesn't want the call, you know. Um, but when it comes to genuinely, when, when, there, when there is love behind the, the action, she is willing to compromise and she's willing to accept uh, for, the, for the better good. That was why I thought Grace was, was a really, really important character. I, was a, I thought it was a really important, you know, profile or per, personality to have in the book. Yeah, I think uh, the section I found really interesting about Grace's kind of struggles to fit in in school, I thought was really relatable. And I think there was one line, uh, I'm paraphrasing again, but it was, 
about was it her friendlessness lasted a year but felt as long as the Ottoman Empire I could really relate to her kind of struggles and then it was interesting that it was the death of a classmate that kind of brought everyone together and kind of broke those cliques and kind of social norms I just thought yeah her whole development and her thoughts and everything and her mindset was really interesting it was how they explored it as you said and in relation to Hungry Paul and the contrast between them uh, a character that I really liked actually was Helen so Hungry Paul and Grace's mother, kind of your stereotype Irish mother in ways. I really enjoyed the line about her kind of commiserating with Grace on the phone, that description of that every time over the wedding saying, I know, love, I know. She was just kind of the shoulder to cry on. And the, she really encouraged, it was her really who encouraged Leonard to kind of branch out and write his own books. And I really liked the line. She kind of took really concern with Leonard when his mother died. She's kind of the first person to to understand how hard it was. I know he kind of was heroic and stoic about the whole thing, but I really enjoyed the line about her. I thought it was so Irish about um, sharing the Easter egg with him. And uh, I think the line was that she opened it three weeks ahead of schedule, the guilt neutralized by sharing. I thought it was really good. It was such an Irish mammy way of uh, a bit of chocolate and tea to kind of uh, solve any issue. But yeah, I thought she was really interesting. And the dynamic of, you know, nothing was neat and tidy. The it was very human, her and Peter, the husband, I guess, talking about like when Hungry Paul does move out and Grace is married now, like how will our relationship be without kids? And this is kind of a new era for us. I thought that was really human. And I think that's probably things and stories generally that don't focus on these kind of lesser characters is something that would never be aired at all. So I think it was good that everyone's kind of emotions were kind of delved into in the book, which was really impactful. Or, and I think you were quite taken with Peter, weren't you, uh, Hungry Paul's father? I just thought he was gas. His, uh, his line there, I think, when Hungry Paul mentioned Leonard's having women issues, and he's like, Leonard, like something along the lines of, well, <laughs> Leonard is a woman, Jason's fair play to him. Like, didn't think he had it in him sort of thing. I don't know. I, I, to be honest, I saw kind of maybe some similarities with my own dad, who's kind of, he'd be fairly chill, doesn't get involved in too much, but he'd be, he'd be good for kind of nuggets of wisdom. Um, in a kind of quiet, undescript sort of, sort of way. Like that, I, I think all the, say himself and Helen, their relationship was explored in a really, really nice way, that it was just, again, just ordinary and relaxed, but still it had to be worked on. I, I'm not sure which one of them says it to um, Grace, but how you know the most important thing is to concentrate on yourselves first, like even if you have kids, even if it's all kicking off. Yeah, I just thought he was brilliant. I thought his interactions with Grace. I thought like it was lovely just seeing yeah, how much he wanted to focus on getting a speech white right for the wedding. And how like, you know, like that's that's not a big deal in a book, like say if you read another book and there's a wedding involved, no one ever talks about the the dad of the bride's speech, like but he was just so focused on getting a ride and he, you know, Grace was kind of telling them she doesn't want it to be you know, not too kind of graphic, whatever. It's like, this is a no, no, it can be perfect, it can be perfect. Like, and I just, I, again, I just thought it was nice. It was lovely, look, um, to see that love portrayed like that sort of thing. Um, it was great. There was also something from, from, from his dad that uh, I just thought every dad with daughters can relate to was when he was, uh, like, Peter would have to stay out the house till the wedding car arrived four hours later, an absolute eternity for an introverted middle-aged man to spend with three hyper young women and their hairdresser. Oh, I just thought yeah. that was... Yeah. absolutely spot on <laughs> like, God yeah. love him and yeah. I thought I loved the was it the board games where or the quiz TV show where he'd always leap in with his own answers <laughs> wrong a lot of the time I find that's yeah. like every Irish dad ever as where well he, uh, what was the one where he recorded it and learned off all the answers yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was gas that reminded me of my dad who when the board games come out of Christmas 
promptly moves to the other room to uh, listen to music or make some other excuse to or wash the dishes willingly rather than play the board games. I think then there's some other hilarious characters like Help Desk Greg. Uh, yeah, I love Help Desk Greg. Like, I know he's only in it like twice or three times, but like, I think he just kind of captures this idea of the, like the kind of like just like this lad in the office who just just you know, lives for saying kind of like ridiculous stuff and you know, just kind of winding people up. But like, I, like, I haven't got Atten like directly to quote about what he said, but I just felt like all the things he said were hilarious. Like, I really enjoyed him. I think he was such a peep show type character, like a person in the <laughs> office with Mark. I loved he like he was so crude and like what he had some line I think when he thought things weren't going well between Leonard and Shelley where I hear love is no longer blossoming in your pants or something like that like it was just absolute these nonsense <laughs> things but I thought it was uh, a yeah, tuna roll at ten a.m. or something it was just like yeah some yeah yeah on a on a Denny baguette I think I, I thought yeah. those descriptions are brilliant like we've all been there eating food that you shouldn't eat for breakfast because you haven't been to the shop for <laughs> three weeks. And everyone likes Leonard strangely fascinated to watch him eating it like I thought that was great um, it was also very funny he was the only man who ever referred to Leonard in any sort of endearing way he's like Lenny my man you yeah. know no no one ever referred to him as anything other than Leonard yeah. and then you had Lenny <laughs> yeah helped out Greg he was great any other characters Paul did you do any characters you liked I mean we can't end the podcast without talking about the man himself Laszlo I thought he was absolutely just one of those minor, I think he only appeared in half a page, but he just, I mean, I think there's a new Rocky film coming out and if Laszlo doesn't make an appearance, that would be quite, <laughs> I think if Ronan Hessian uh, brings out a, a book after this one focused on Laszlo, I'd gladly buy it. Um, <laughs> I just thought it was just such a funny image, like poor hungry Paul, like starts. He goes from beginner lesson in judo. Is it judo? Yeah. Brady. He goes from a, a beginner lesson straight into a one-on-one with this Laszlo. He's built like a garbage can or whatever, <laughs> and he has cauliflower ears. And he said, <laughs> poor hungry Paul tackles him, and he's left looking like a, cor- a Randy Corgi humping his leg or something. It's just like, oh, this is just this Laszlo. He just this, doesn't speak English, you know, just a, a pure man of muscle. Great character. Even the name Laszlo, <laughs> it's such a funny... He's so well yeah. named, and you can just picture him so easily I think I find out with this book that it's so easy to visualise all the characters even the minor ones they're so vividly kind of portrayed so my question just is even you, did you think the, it was set sorry go on ahead, the, just, for, just very quickly just on that I, one of my favourite parts of the book was when uh, Hungry Paul was starting judo and he thought that a bathrobe <laughs> was appropriate apparel for it like I oh, I really enjoyed that that was so funny <laughs> He didn't see the. He didn't see why anyone would look at a bathrobe and think that it would be anything less than the athletic gear that you know is is used in judo. I, I forget the name of of, of the the, gi, of the Sorry, it's a gi, I believe. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, it looks similar. Uh, you know, it may be more comfy, but you know, why would it be any different? You know, I thought that was so funny. I'm going to throw it out there that I'm very impressed that we're however many minutes into a podcast, no one's laughed at the word gi yet or brought up that. You're more mature than I <laughs> I had to mute myself. I had to mute myself there as well. <laughs> I, was I didn't even really cough that. And, uh, That's excellent. <laughs> I, I can't believe I didn't and, like, realize that. <laughs> Come here, I'm not was, joking. I literally think have the a book was set in England, Britain, Ireland. Oh, I thought Dublin. With, uh, the Bog Bodies. Yeah, so- the Bog Bodies ex- exhibition kind of 
Neil like Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually felt that he kind of. Yeah. I Let's felt he kind of tried. Yeah, I, that's what was my impression was because the, other than the word "ma'am" was the only indication to me that it took place in Ireland. Yeah, like other, there was no real colloquialism and there was no real like. You made some mention of the states at one point or two points maybe. Yeah, the sewing kit was really Irish. I thought with in the quality street box, like I remember at home the disappointment of opening a, a box of roses and then seeing all ma'am sewing equipment inside. Like, like how many times have you been caught out? Like, yeah, just, it's still a nightmare. I think you'd learn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For me, it was the shortbread biscuits that was our song. Yeah, but I like that. that that it was. It's unit like it could be said anywhere, which is good. It's not like it's you know that you have to be Irish to relate to it. Or I think it was I read it and very much as picturing it in an Irish context. But you could be from the UK and be like, this could easily be my town in the UK. Or I think it's quite universal in its appeal, which is good. Okay, guys, it's time for our rate expectations. Uh, Podge, I'll start with you. Um, do you want to kind of give your rating for the book and maybe say who you think would enjoy the book? Like, what type of reader? Any reader at all. I uh, don't want to be too vague on that, but uh, at any age, as as Kenny Marty attested to, like, an 11-year-old, fifth, sixth-class pupil would enjoy it, like ourselves. I know my mom is listening to it. She loves this. Um, I know my, my aunt recommended it to me. Like, it's all ages... Uh, all walks of life would um would love this book. I really, really enjoyed it. I found myself laughing a lot. I found myself just being warmed by it, I suppose, um, quite often, um, learning a lot. And like this book didn't just make me laugh, it made me kind of check my reality a little bit, if that makes sense, or like like stop and look around a little bit, notice things maybe a little more or whatever. Yeah, really loved this. I'd give it an eight and a half, I think is a strong enough uh, rating. Yeah, that's really good. I'd agree that it's kind of universal, like anyone could enjoy it. Uh, Oren, I'll come to you next. How did you, how would you rate the book? Yeah, I reckon I'd go with a, no, 7.5. Like I did, I loved the book. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was kind of, it'd just be what you'd want after a kind of heavy read or something like that. Or... I think particularly in the in the midst of this whole pandemic, like it's just perfect to kind of just nice, calm, relaxing, just bring a nice sense of peace and actually sit back and think and appreciate, as Paul just saying, the you know, the lighter things in life. So if you're looking, obviously, if you're looking for something exciting and kind of, you know, a murder mystery or something, it's, you know, it's not like that whatsoever. Um, I think it is important to say to people that like nothing's really happening per se, but it's just real character driven. So if you're not into that sort of book, you know, if you just want to, a quick read and it's easy and you kind of don't have to think about it not for you but i thought it was a brilliant book if you're if you're looking for something with a bit more under the surface yeah like that's interesting like you don't have to think about it i think that is a good element too but also it does make you think at the same time which is like the dual skill of it i think which yeah. is the beauty yeah. of the book that there is if you want to delve deeper there's a lot more there's substance and style kind of to the book which is always a good Definitely. a good trait in any book and uh, marty i'll come to you next um how would you rate the book and why yeah, uh, I I loved it. Um, I think to start off, I suppose the score I'll give it is probably an 8.5 uh, out of 10. And you know that it's just purely on how much I enjoyed it. I think this book is for so many people. And I think this book is for anyone who has anyone in their life that they feel may be underappreciated by others. You know, people, those who are other overlooked. We all know people that we appreciate more than, or that we love more, or that we feel don't get as valued as, as highly as we value them. And I think when you read this book, you'll feel that in, in, in Ronan's 
Rowan Hunt's writing. Any characters that you don't relate to, you will feel endeared to. And I, that's, I, that was one of the things, that, one of my favourite things about it. One of the lines that encapsulated the book for me was uh, Leonard's analysis of Shelley when he's describing her as a booky person, but as someone who liked to read books, not to have opinions on them, but to find themselves in them. I think that anyone who reads this book would do well not to find themselves in any of the car in some of the characters here. Uh, that's how universal and that's how accessible this book is. Uh, yeah, I really liked it as well. I'm going to give it a 7.5. For me, it was kind of like, it was two things I suppose really for me. It was first was the writing style. It was just, I thought it was lovely. It was just really like, you really kind of extracted the humour really well from a lot of normal situations. And I thought the way you used language was just really kind of like, it fed into that a lot. And the second thing obviously, as as others of you said, was was the characters. Like he really, he really, put together characters really well, really illustrated them well. And he really brought out traits in normal people that you know yourself and that maybe like are a bit underappreciated and don't get the limelight that they get here. Yeah, so for me, it was it was a great celebration of everything like that. It was really well written. And yeah, so it's a, it's a 7.5 for me. Uh, I am probably a strong 8, I think I would give it. I just really enjoyed it. It's very different in the books. I, I kind of have a tendency to read heavier kind of stuff or fiction. Uh, and I really enjoy this kind of change of pace. And yeah, it really made me think. And I felt like it made me feel a lot, this book. It's quite an, uh, an emotionally driven book. And I, re- I really related to a lot of the characters and kind of their everyday struggles and happinesses so um yeah I, I, a strong aid for me uh really good book would definitely recommend it uh like podge said to a variety of people like i'd, I'd recommend it to my mom or recommend it to friends i think there's a universal appeal which is kind of really special yeah so that's our um thoughts on leonard and hungry paul by ronan hessian we all really enjoyed it as you can tell from our ratings and our reviews and we'd like to extend a massive thanks to ronan himself for uh, providing us with such a brilliant intro no one could have said it better than the man himself so thanks a lot and get involved in the one dublin one book campaign it's a fantastic initiative and we'll be back with you with Transatlantic in a couple of weeks is our next book. We're looking forward to discussing that. So in the meantime, keep an eye on lairaira.com for all our latest articles and podcasts and see you soon.